help support the Jiminy Cricket podcast and the Disney Chris website by becoming a Patreon subscriber. By joining our illustrious roster of supporters, you will receive exclusive rewards every month, including audio content, Disney video commentaries, and an exclusive Patreon subscribers-only podcast called Down the Rabbit Hole. Be sure to check out our new donation levels and special rewards at www.patreon.com slash DisneyChris. It's Halloween on... Chimney Crickets! <laughs> Welcome everybody to another installment of our Best Of series, where we look at our archives and pull out a classic episode of Jiminy Crickets and bring it to you in a fresh new package. <laughs> so this month we wanted to highlight something Halloween related. So a few years ago, I think five years ago, yeah, I think 20, so. for the 25th anniversary of the movie Hocus Pocus, we did a special episode and now it is the 30th anniversary of Hocus Pocus, so we want to bring that episode to you once again. Any thoughts, Ruthie? Yeah, it's just interesting to think about it because this was actually the first time I watched the movie was for this podcast five years ago. Oh, I didn't know and that. Yeah, so you'll hear me comment about those things at the end, um, you know, after we go through and talk about the movie. Um, yeah, so it was my first time watching it, and you know, and now I watch it every year since. Now she's so. a fan. Yeah. So we present to you Hocus Pocus, Chimney Crickets. Chimney Cricket is the name. I'm a happy-go-lucky fellow, always getting in wrong for singing my song. A merry old soul am I. Jiminy Cricket is the name. I'll be hanging around this evening. I'll be tipping my hat and telling you that Jiminy Cricket is the name. Welcome, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, to episode 104 of Jiminy Crickets. <laughs> Happy Halloween, Ruthie. Happy Halloween, Chris. Are you feeling spooky? I am feeling spooky. And this week, we're going to talk about a cult classic from the Disney Library of Films from the 1990s, Hocus Pocus which is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. But before we get to our main topic, we have a very special announcement. The Jiminy Crickets podcast proudly endorses Concierge Vacation Planners, a Disney-authorized specialty vacation planning service. Concierge doesn't just book your trip, they walk you through the entire process, helping you plan out every detail, one-on-one, to make the very most out of your vacation while saving you both time and money. And the best part is they charge nothing for their services. You will get the exact same pricing as if you booked your vacation directly through Disney. But in using Concierge expertise, 
you've got the added bonus of having your very own personal Disney Guru Planner by your side. Both Ruthie and I are also satisfied customers, and we just can't recommend them enough. Visit their website at www.concierge.com. That's www.concierge.com, as in mouse ears. So when you book your next Disney vacation, be it Walt Disney World, Disneyland, the Disney Cruise Line, or many of the other Disney destinations available worldwide, contact Concierge Vacation Planners, and be sure to tell them Disney Chris sent you. So this week we're going to be talking about the 1993 cult classic Hocus Pocus starring Bette Midler, Kathy and Jimmy, and Sarah Jessica Parker as the Sanderson sisters. A trio of witches who come back to haunt and havoc Salem, Massachusetts in uh, the 300th anniversary of their hanging basically (laughs) (laughs) and it is a comedy (laughs) so the movie is actually celebrating this year its 25th anniversary and so we thought it was timely this halloween episode to talk about this uh beloved disney classic so before we get into the movie let's talk about where the movie came from what its origin story is which is very interesting it was originally a bedtime story that was told by david kirshner to his daughters they had a cat named inks i-n-k-s which would later evolve into the cat in this film called binks with a b but originally the cat was named the original cat was named Ink, so he sort of was inspired to say that this cat was cursed and came up with a whole story about how their family pet had a curse on him. And he told this to his daughters as a bedtime story. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> the cool thing too about that story is he ended up writing it into a short story and it was published in the Muppets magazine. Right. He did a treatment for Muppets magazine, I think in the early 80s. And then Disney quickly... um, Well, he did a um, presentation for Disney executives trying... He also wrote An American Tale and a lot of other great children's stuff that was happening during that time. He was... He sort of started out doing children's things, and later he kind of went to the horror genre, and I feel like this might have been his bridge between the children's genre into the horror genre, because this kind of is kind of fits both criteria, this film. So he originally did a, um, a pitch to Disney executives for an American tale, and they turned him down, so, believe it or not. So that eventually he ended up pitching it to Steven Spielberg and Don Bluth, and they ended up doing it. But um, Disney told him, you know, we don't like this idea, but if you want to come up with another idea, we're willing to have another meeting. So 
he decided that it might be interesting to pitch his Halloween story, which at that time, what was it originally called? The the Halloween House? Yeah, Disney's Halloween House. Well, it wasn't, what Dis- they, yeah. it wasn't Disney's yet, because right. Disney didn't buy it. Originally, it was just called The Halloween House. And then when Disney bought the rights, they were going to originally call it Disney's Halloween House when they were creating the movie. But eventually, that name got changed. But originally, it was just called The Halloween House. And he did a whole treatment. And he actually brought all sorts of Halloween deck. He asked if he could show up to the meeting a half hour early to set up. And they said he could. So he brought all sorts of Halloween paraphernalia with him. And they brought a huge bag of candy corn so the smell would permeate the room. And he pitched his whole idea to Disney. And part of his sales pitch included the fact that Halloween was a multi-million dollar market. There weren't that many good Halloween films for children. Yada yada. Disney bought it hook, line, and sinker. They bought the rights. And then this was in 1984. So all this time went by where the film didn't get made because they just couldn't come up with just the right feel for it. There were different actresses they had in mind that didn't work out. And it just kind of sat on the shelf for a good number of years. And also originally their thinking was they might do it as a made-for-TV like Disney Channel type situation, right? Right. And so... It kind of sat on the shelf, and then somehow, I'm not exactly sure, and, and by the way, the author, the, the creator of the story, his thinking for the main character, the Sanderson sister, the Bette Midler role, he, his thinking was Cloris Leachman originally, because um, he remembered her performance in Young Frankenstein, and other, you know, type screwball comedies. And he was thinking that she would be the right fit for that role. He never even considered Bette Midler. So years went by and they, you know, they tried to adapt it. It just never happened. And then somehow, I don't know how she heard about it, but somehow Bette Midler got wind of it and she was in from the get-go. She loved it. She definitely was the catalyst for this, this uh, production going full steam ahead. But her one thing, and I don't blame her because she's the divine Miss M, she's like, I'm not doing a made-for-TV movie. This is going to be, you know, a theatrical release. So Disney, you know, the early 90s, Bette Midler was like the it girl for Disney. You know, she, she was definitely... A cash cow for Disney at that time. So basically they did whatever she wanted at that time. And um, so they decided to go ahead. And they actually contacted David Kirshner. And said we're going to do your um, your movie. And he was like what? <laughs> it's like <laughs> nine years. It's like eight years later. And they finally decided to do his movie. And it came as a, he thought it would never happen at this point. But it eventually did happen. And it was all based on the the story he created and just told to his children. So they definitely changed the tone and feel of his original story. And he's sort of quoted as not being terribly happy originally. I think he's grown to appreciate it now. 
But originally, he wasn't very happy with the direction Disney took it because they made it more of a funny... It had moments of humor in the original, but I think he was more thinking of like a Goosebumps type feel, you know? More scary and and less screwball comedy and, you know, Three Stooges type humor happening. Right. So, and also mm -hmm. his thinking was that the, the, the children should be younger. He wanted them to be like 12, 10 to 12. But Disney decided to make the protagonist and his love interest, you know, around 16 instead. Because they wanted to kind of focus in on the whole teenage angst, teenage first love, first crush type angle. So he wasn't terribly thrilled with that either. Ruthie and I listened to an interview with him today. And one thing I he, he loved about the film was the atmosphere that Disney created, the the Salem, Massachusetts, just the, and the Sanderson sisters house, which was all built on a soundstage, by the way, the indoor and outdoor house was all constructed on a Dis on Disney's largest soundstage. In fact, the whole graveyard that's featured in the film was built on a soundstage. And one of the reasons for that is because of all the flying that happens in the movie. And one thing that I love about the, the movie, Ruthie, and tell me if you disagree, the only CGI in the whole movie is the cat talking. Yeah. And this mm -hmm. is very early CGI. Everything else in the movie is all practical effects, and I feel that it holds up. And it's, it, in fact, the only thing that doesn't hold up, <laughs> ironically, is the CGI. <laughs> right. The cat's mouth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I remember when I first saw this film, about a year after it was in theaters, I probably rented it and watched it at home. How impressive that looked originally. But, I mean, that's because that technology was brand new at that time. But, I mean, 25 years later, it, it, it's like... It doesn't hold up at all. So it's funny how impressed I was originally, but now I'm like, yikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's sort of how the, the story got started, but let's talk about the characters, and in doing so, we can talk about some of the other people that were considered to play the cast, because uh, some of the people that were picked were not the original choices so like we said Bette Midler was not the original idea by the author or the, he wasn't the author because the the screenplay was actually written by Mick Garris and Neil Cuthbert uh, based on the story by Mick Garris and the person I mentioned David Kirshner so really the main writer of the screenplay was Mick Garris and so he was on board after Bette Midler came on board, so his idea was always Bette Midler. But David Kirshner, like I said, Cloris Leachman was his first thought, but that was eight years before Bette Midler came on. So really, she was really the first pick when this project went into full steam ahead mode. She was really the catalyst for the whole thing. So Bette Midler played Winnie, Winifred, 
Sanderson. And you want to talk a little bit about her character, Ruth, and her role in the film? Well, she is the leader of the sisters. She's the oldest sister. And so she kind of just drives what they end up doing. You know, she's the one who says, all right, we're going to go over here and we're going to do this. And they just kind of follow along with her, the other two sisters. Right. I couldn't help but make parallels between the Three Stooges. Yeah. (laughs) And if you're thinking Three Stooges, she's the Mo of the group. She's the leader, self-appointed leader. And the other two are too stupid to say otherwise. You know, they're dimwits. She's the only one that has a small inkling of a brain. (laughs) (laughs) The other two are just completely idiot. (laughs) They have no clue what's going on. Sarah Jessica Parker more so than Kathy and Jimmy, but they're both idiots regardless. Yeah. And one thing that Bette Midler said when we watched some interviews and she was talking about this character and she was kind of saying that she just stepped on set and this character kind of just came out of her. She doesn't really know where where she came from. Right. So something about the whole um, set and the whole environment just created this character for her. Right. It just naturally. And she said also in the same interview that that has never before happened to her in a role and never since has that happened. Like just something about the costuming, the scenery, just the situation, the storyline, the character just instantly came into her head. And that was that. And she's also on record as saying this is her absolute favorite movie and favorite role that she's ever done. And that's saying something. I mean, if yeah. you look at her career, she's done some terrific roles over the years. Definitely. I mean, and to say that is saying something. I mean, she was in on stage playing in, you know, Fiddler on the Roof and all sorts of, you know, musicals and things. And out of all that, this is her favorite. So that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's not crazy because it's like a meaty, juicy role and, it, you know, but... It's just crazy to think that of all the things she's done, this is her favorite. Right. So Kathy Najimy was not the first choice for Mary Sanderson, the middle sister. And who was that, Ruthie? Who was the first choice for that? The original choice was Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, and she turned it down because she didn't want to play someone who basically murdered children because that sort of (laughs) happens in this movie a couple times yeah it happens one time and then they try to do it again but don't succeed but we'll get into the plot later but the um one thing i found out about her role is that they she decided because she had she struggled with coming up with her character at first kathy and jimmy So she actually was told that she can smell children. That's her power. That's her magical power. So she decided to incorporate some characteristics of a bloodhound into her character. (laughs) So you'll often hear her going roof, roof and stuff and and kind of doing dog-like things (laughs) in her role. And then another inspiration she is quoted as saying was Eddie Haskell from the Leave It to Beaver 
series, which I find a little odd because I don't see that. But apparently in her dealings with her sister, Winnie, she's like the way Eddie Haskell was with Mrs. Cleaver. Like, isn't that a beautiful dress you have on, Mrs. Cleaver? You know, where she's like telling her what she wants to hear in order to serve her own needs. But Mrs. Cleaver could see right through his, you know, fakeness. But (laughs) I don't see that. So, I mean, to me, that's a stretch. Yeah. I mean, maybe the way that, you know, she kind of like, you know, idolized her sister. So kind of that respect. But yeah, I don't, she's not like sly like Eddie. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Eddie Haskell is not a dummy. Right. But she kind of is. At least right. maybe she's, you know, crazy as a fox or, you know, she <laughs> yeah. she just gives the impression, but she's actually, you know, has her own agenda deep in her mind. Mm-hmm. The same cannot be said for Sarah Jessica Parker's role. And she played herself, Sarah Sanderson. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no. She played the youngest of the Sanderson sisters and probably the, the prettiest. Like she definitely was attractive compared to the other two, but her secret power. And I feel like Winnie's secret power was levitation and being able to like zap things she had like oh yeah electrical electrical power or something yeah and kathy's power was just be able to smell children which i would not want that power (laughs) (laughs) i mean so specifically that she can tell their age yeah like she like she has like this weird thing going on yeah and then sarah jessica parker is a siren and a siren in classical lore is a woman who uses her voice through usually singing to seduce men and it's usually a very beautiful looking so not only through her voice but her uh, physical attributes seduces men brings them to their lair and then kills them so she has that talent but she entices children with her singing so that's her power She's able to, like, um, enchant or hypnotize children into following her. So that's her... That's her claim to fame. But she's probably the stupidest of the three sisters. And uh, playing on the whole dumb blonde stereotype, which was... I feel like back in the 90s, these stereotypes were a lot more acceptable to perpetuate than they are now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so... Um, I don't know that anybody else was ever considered for her role. I didn't find any information about that. Yeah, Did you, I didn't hear anything either, no. Right. So then the main protagonist is the 16-year-old Max Dennison. And he's just a typical teenager. You know, a cute young guy. And, you know, not like the most attractive you know just like the average cute guy you know and so he was originally from los angeles and he just moved to salem and he was originally going to be played by another actor who went on to great uh, things and who is that ruthie yes the role was originally offered to leonardo dicaprio 
but he turned the role down so that he could do What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which is where he got his first Academy Award nomination from that film. So, right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if I had if I were in his shoes, I would have made the same decision. Right. Because as much as this is a great movie, it's not a career-changing role, whereas that was a much meatier role. This is just like the average teenager part, you know? Yeah. Whereas that was like something different. You know, he played a, a mentally handicapped person and, you know, he had a lot more to offer to that role. So anyway, one of the f plot points in this movie is the fact that, you know, he's 16 years old. Obviously, he's a, you know, I mean, most 16-year-olds are virgins. So they constantly mention how he's a virgin throughout the whole <laughs> film. I really enjoy his performance because he he's just like the way a real person would be. He doesn't get overly upset over something like that. I mean, he doesn't like it, but I mean, he doesn't get all crazy if someone says that. I yeah. feel like in real life, a 16-year-old would not really be that bothered if someone mentioned they were a virgin. Yeah. They might be a little bothered, but not to the point of being, like, you know... Upset about it? Yeah. So, yeah. I feel like... Yeah, he was... just kind of rolls his eyes about it. Yeah. But that's kind of a running gag throughout the movie. Yeah. And it actually <laughs> is important to the whole plot, which, again, we'll get into in a few minutes. So, Thora Birch played Danielle... Max's younger sister and I really enjoyed her in this movie I don't f I feel like she was a cut above the average eight-year-old actress I think she was 10 when she re when she filmed this but she was playing eight but I mean close enough right but she just I feel like she wasn't overly saccharine like a lot like sh she could have gone two two directions with this role and most child actors at that age do overly saccharine or overly bratty and annoying one extreme or the other seems to be you know the typical thing you get from someone that age she sort of found the middle ground on that yeah she was sweet she could be annoying she was multi-dimensional like, I felt she gave a really good performance. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, yeah. She was annoying, but to her brother, not to the person watching the film. So, and that's what an right. eight-year-old girl would do. Right, and she wasn't annoying to the point of being a brat, either. She was right. just, like, and, she, and there was definitely a, a genuine love between the two of them. And the other thing, it wasn't like, I mean, they had a few moments where they kind of fought a little bit but it was never like major it was never like a major like there was a one time where he got a little upset with her and yelled at her but then a minute later they made up right and there was you know and you could tell they really cared for each other and i it felt genuine it didn't right. feel contrived and her brattiness was she wasn't a brat she was a nice girl she was just a pleasant child you know yeah Mm -hmm. So, you know, she had bratty tendencies, but all children do. But that wasn't her only thing that was going on. She was, like I said, multi-dimensional character. I feel like the same cannot really be said for Vanessa Shaw, who played Allison Watts. I feel like she was kind of a one-note. 
but I don't feel she needed to be more than that. I, th I felt she was perfectly adequate and it didn't upset me at all that she didn't have that. And I feel it was more to do with the writing than with her performance. I mean, she just mm -hmm. didn't have that that much of a, a role in the film. Right. She, I mean, she's just kind of a one-note type of a character. She served a function rather than moving the plot, really. Right. And she's just the typical love interest kind of a teenage girl. Yeah. And she was probably out of Max's league a little bit. Yes. And there is, there because very attractive young lady but they do say um in the movie how you're out you know there's one point where somebody else says to max who's probably a little bit better looking than max he says you're out of luck at first when he walked up to him i thought he was gonna say i'm i'm her boyfriend see that's one thing i like about this movie is it doesn't do the typical like stereotypical 90s teenage movie stuff because yeah. i thought it was gonna go Hey, that's my girlfriend. How do you don't be talking to my gal? You know, yeah, I thought that yeah. was going to happen. But all he said was, you know, you don't have a chance, and there was no drama. He was just saying, you know, you're not in her league, and that was the end of that conversation. Right. I feel like that would happen in real life, not this whole. I, that's my girl. You know, right. Meet me after school. <laughs> you know that whole thing. You know, that yeah. whole Saved by the Bell type situation wasn't right, really good. Right. It was a little was no, bit... Yeah. This no movie teenage was, love triangle going right. on. Right. This movie was a little more above the average, you know, Saved by the Bell, Disney Channel type story that was going yeah. on. And to some extent still goes on today. You know, these just contrived situations. This was much more... Even though they were in, like very unrealistic circumstances were going right. on around them their characters were portrayed very realistically in my mind and very well done uh, as far as child performers i feel like they did a great job and i also feel like that's one of the strengths of this movie and why it has stood the test of time because it doesn't fall victim to those tropes that a lot of those 90 movies do that have not aged very well Right. This yeah, movie. The, like the story doesn't get sidetracked off of their love story. It stays right. focused on this Halloween story. Right. So I feel like this is a little bit meatier type stuff yeah. than some of the average children's films of that time period. So Sean Murray played Binks. Thackeray Binks, to be exact. Not Zachary, but Thackeray with a TH for some reason. <laughs> yes. And he actually opens the film. So if you haven't seen it before, your first in inclination is that he's going to be the main protagonist. But uh, he ends up falling victim to the witches. Um, they actually, the, the story begin. well, we'll get into the plot in a minute, but we'll just say that he is turned into a cat and uh cursed to have to live with his guilt for immortality so he can't die and he has to live with the guilt that he has over the death of his sister for immortality that's how the witches curse him so he actually is only a human being for the first scene of the film and then the characters in the whole movie but he's a talking cat for the rest of the movie right and it's actually 
what I found interesting, and I didn't realize this when I was watching the movie, and when I've watched it in the past, I didn't realize this until we did some research, that the cat voice was not Sean Murray. Sean Murray right. only played Thackeray as human. The cat was voiced by someone named Jason uh, Marsden, who apparently... Um, what, what was the other thing he did that was pretty famous? He voiced uh, Max in the Goofy movie. That's right. That's what I was thinking of. So, ironically, there was another Max. Like, it's all yeah. <laughs> three degrees of separation here. But he voiced Max in a Goofy movie. So he did not... Sean Murray did not do the voice of the cat, but I didn't notice. Did you notice? I know. That? You can't tell, really. They sound the same to me. Mm-hmm. I pr probably if I went back and rewatched it now, knowing that, I might, I might, you know, realize it, but... Another terrific performance was by Doug Jones. Now, it's really... I found the, the story of how they discovered him to be fascinating. So, they knew they needed someone to, to play this role. He's sort of a zombie character. He was... Uh, the name of the character is Billy Butcherson, and he was a love interest of Winifred. And there was sort of a love triangle going on between her and Sarah, so she got upset and poison him and sewed his mouth shut so that he could not tell his secrets even in death so when she's trying to get the children who are in a graveyard with which is within the storyline that witches can't go into it they can't touch the graveyard or something i don't know because they go against it's hallowed this. ground or something it's hallowed ground so she brings him to life so that he can do her bidding and capture the children so they needed somebody that could like not say anything for most of the movie because he does talk later but originally his mouth is sewn shut so for a good part of the movie he doesn't say anything so all of his acting has to be done through his emotions and grunts and hand gestures and just the way he moves so they were actually looking for someone tall and thin that could play this part and the people making the movie saw the Mac Tonight commercials, the McDonald's commercials with yep. the with the big moon head and then the just normal human body <laughs> playing the piano. You know those old McDonald's commercials. So they actually wanted to find out who it was that did that because they wanted to see if he would be able to do the zombie role for this movie. So that's how they discovered him. And since then, he's gone on to do all sorts of these types of uh, acting performances where he plays monsters and different things where he doesn't really talk. He just he just wears heavy different types of makeup to transform him into aliens and different kind of monsters in all sorts of movies. And it all sort of sprang out of this performance, which is actually fantastic. I really enjoyed him. And he was supposed to be good looking. And actually, a lot of people who follow the, the cult following that goes after this film, a lot of young ladies sort of have, you know, crushes on this character. <laughs> some, you know, the goth chicks dig him. Yeah, Billy the zombie. <laughs> right. He's kind of popular. He's kind of a crush a lot of young girls have. So he did really well in this movie. I enjoyed him. So the parents in the movie who had you know not they were just parents they didn't really do much they were in a couple scenes they just served kind of a purpose 
Charles Rocket, Stephanie uh, Farsi. They play their parents. Emily Banks, the the young sister that was in the beginning. Amanda Shepard. Now, Larry Bagby as Ernie. But I he gets mad when he's first introduced as Ernie. He says, my name's not Ernie anymore. It's Ice. <laughs> <laughs> he's a bully. And uh, he's friends with another character named Jay. And they're sort of cohorts. And they steal Max's shoes in the beginning of the movie because they're bullies. You know, they're typical bullies from the 90s. Yeah, they're messing with the new kid in school. Yeah, they call him Hollywood. Hey, Hollywood. Yeah, and then they steal his candy when he's trick-or-treating and, you know, those types of things. So... That is a trope that from the 90s that they didn't yeah. change much. But they're, I still appreciated it because I felt like I kind of enjoyed them. I felt they were kind of funny. I thought they did very well in you know that type of performance. I, I thought it was well done. But anyway, Tobias uh, Jelinek played Jay and Larry Bagby played Ice, the two bullies. <laughs> and sort of a... Laurel and Hardy because uh, Jay was tall and thin and Larry Bagby was kind of chubby. And so they were playing off on that trope as well. One other little shout out goes to Kathleen Freeman who played a teacher at the beginning of the film. She was only in one scene, but she's kind of one of those famous character actors from old Hollywood that was in all sorts of films she played maids, secretaries, teachers, busybodies, nurses. She was in a lot of those old Jerry Lewis comedies, you know. Just kind of one of those working actresses that you've seen in dozens of old movies, old comedies. So she's worth a shout out. She plays a teacher at the beginning of the movie who's telling the story of the Sanderson sisters. Now, and one other kind of cameo performances that were hysterical were Gary Marshall um, and Penny Marshall. And Gary Marshall played the devil, sort of. We'll explain that later. I'll leave you for a little, you know, so you keep listening to the end. And (laughs) Penny Marshall played the devil's wife, a.k.a. Medusa. (laughs) (laughs) Not really, but we'll explain that later. But the thing is... They're brother and sister, and Gary Marshall has done dozens of comedy, like television shows. Uh, he did uh, The Odd Couple. He did he uh, directed and produced Pretty Woman, Beaches, so he has a history with Bette Midler, uh, Runaway Bride. He was involved in the creation of Happy Days. You know, he's done a lot of stuff that we know and love. But he's usually off-camera. He's more of a, a off-screen director-writer type personality. But from to- he is good on the screen, so from time and again, he'll do little bit parts like this. And Penny Marshall, of course, played Laverne in Laverne and Shirley. And she was also, you know, she directed a lot of great things. Like, the one that stands out for me is... Uh, What's that baseball movie? Oh, A League of Their Own. A League of Their Own, yeah. She's just done a lot of great comedy films after she finished her, her stint as uh, Laverne on Laverne and Shirley. Fantastic comedian. 
fantastic director. They're brother and sister, but in this film they played husband and wife, which is sort of funny. And it's just a funny little scene. It doesn't really move the plot at all, and I feel like it wasn't originally in the script, but like they were hanging around the the set and they were like, Hey, you wanna be in a scene? <laughs> you know, that's how I feel. But I feel like I'm glad that that happened because it's right. just a delightful, funny scene that just kind of adds to the charm of this movie. So let's go through the plot a little bit. So the story takes place in Salem, Massachusetts, which, of course, is famous for its uh, the witch trial. So it has a history with witches and everything. So perfect place to, to set this. And I also feel like Salem just has a Halloween feel just because it has that old New England type look to it. I've been to Salem several times because I don't live that far from there. It's probably a two, maybe an hour and a half drive from here to Salem, here in Rhode Island where I live. And uh, it is a charming little town. And they do have a lot of, like, even though the Sanderson sisters' house is fictional... They do have things like that in Salem where they have like an old house that they turn into a museum. So it's like very like conceivable that this really is Salem. They really, you know, there's a there's I there's a few plot holes, but I feel like there's not as many in a normal children's movie. You know, a lot right. of it kind yeah. of makes sense. Like it's well constructed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so the plot starts back, you know, it's for a flashback. We go back 300 years to 1693, and it's Halloween. And the Sanderson sisters, well, specifically Sarah, has cast a spell on a young girl named Emily, who's probably about eight years old. And they, and like I said, she's a siren, so she beckons her to their home that's deep in the woods. It's this old cottage. I mean, it was old even in 1693, it was old. So she beckons her to their cottage. But what happens is, as she's being seduced away, her brother Thackeray sees her and knows, like, somehow knows what's going on. Maybe, like, people knew of the lore and and legacy of witches and knew that was something to look out for at that time you know i mean it was salem after all <laughs> so she, he sees his sister being seduced so he jumps out of bed it's actually he wakes up and he doesn't even put his shoes on and he starts running after her and um he ends up following them to the cottage where they brought her to and they're casting a spell in order to suck out her youth and make themselves younger because when the movie first starts they look quite a bit older more wrinkly and not as a not i mean especially in the case of sarah jessica parker's character she looks really kind of creepy in the first yeah. scene so they do end up killing his sister by sucking out her youth and so Thackeray tries to confront them and they end up turning him into a cat like we mentioned earlier and he's cursed to live forever and feel the guilt for letting his sister you know die basically so when this is all going on he's already 
let the, you know, he let the town know about what was happening as he was, he said, because there was someone with him, he said, go tell the village. So they ended up coming right after all this went down, but it was too late. So what was left is a dead little girl and a cat and the three witches. And they obviously knew that they had killed the girl. So the next scene, they're, they're, they're all three in a noose. And so the village is going to hang them and the village is all there, you know, with pitchforks and whatnot. And so the um, witches have this magical book that's kind of it's alive and it's made out of human skin and it has an eyeball that blinks, which is really creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like her pet in a way. Yeah. And like when she beckons it, it can fly to her. And it has all of her magic incantations and all of her spells in it. So when they're about to be hanged, the three of them start singing and beckon the book. And she casts a spell that says that she can, the three of them can come back. So they're, so she, they're just like, do whatever you want to do. We'll be back and we'll get revenge. And so they end up being hung. And then the sad thing is at the end of the scene, as the parents are walking away, the little black cat tries to get close to the father and he kind of pushes him away get out of here you stupid cat and that's his son and i don't know why he didn't talk to his father that's one plot hole i will say well maybe he didn't know at the time that he could talk because he had just been turned into a cat that's true <laughs> so then we move ahead 300 years to october 1993 halloween and uh we are in the classroom and the teacher is telling the story of the Sanderson sisters, which have since become sort of local lore and their home has been turned into a museum and all this sort of stuff. But they've been gone for 300 years and, you know, nobody really believes that stuff, but it's still local legend and sort of a local thing that people are proud of. But when she's telling the story, Max kind of rolls his eyes and says, I don't believe in any of that witchcraft, hocus pocus. And he actually, I think he says the line <laughs> from the film at that point. They say it, I think, three or four times throughout the movie. But anyway, he ends up uh, giving his phone number to this beautiful young girl sitting nearby. But uh, he ends up you know confronting her later on outside and he tells her you know i don't believe in witches and she says well i do and she hands him uh the piece of paper thinking that he's thinking she's giving her phone number but it's actually she's handing him back his phone number so like i don't want your phone number kind of situation so anyways max ends up having to take his younger sister trick-or-treating that night while his parents are gonna go to a party which will be important later so while they're trick-or-treating max actually goes into this really fancy house and they're having a masquerade ball and allison just happens to live there and she's handing out candy and they get to talking more about the witches and he kind of says well why don't we go to that museum which has been shut down so it has it's been abandoned for a few years so they all decide to like make a trek to the old Sanderson sister's house and just kind of look at things and she believes in witches and so he's trying to like placate to her so that 
she'll like him. So it's, you know, as normal, his motivations are sort of romantic, so. <laughs> but they all end up at the cottage, and they look at all the artifacts, everything's dusty and everything, and there's this candle. And there's a thing that says, if a virgin lights this candle on All Hallows' Eve, it'll bring back the dead. And he's like rolling his eyes, oh, I don't believe any of that nonsense. And they're, the, you know, Danny and Allison are saying, don't do it, don't do it. And he's, he doesn't listen to them. And he ends up getting a souvenir lighter from the gift shop, because it's a museum now, or abandoned museum. And he lights the candle, and all chaos ensues. It actually is, did exactly what it said it would do. And the flame is a black flame which is kind of cool looking in the movie. And yeah. um, like all the light all the light bulbs explode and then all these candles automatically come on and like wind and noise and then the front doors to the cottage open and the Sanderson sisters are back alive <laughs> again. And a little battle happens between the Sanderson sisters and um, the three young, intrepid adventurers. And they end up fooling the witches by starting the sprinkler system in the, in the cottage. And they tell them that it's the reign of death or something like that. And they end up escaping with their magic book of spells and... The cat follows them to help them along in their avoiding the witch because the cat, who is Thackeray now, um, he decided that it, he would make it his life's mission to make sure that the witches never harm anyone else and to warn people against lighting that candle and on Halloween if you're a virgin. So, <laughs> so he ends up letting them know that he can talk and he, you know, explains his backstory and everything. He's also the one that leads them to the graveyard and tells them that it's hollow ground and the witches can't touch them there. Right. So that's what happens next. They go to the graveyard sort of to hide out so that because when the sun rises, the spell that they cast is only good until the end of the evening when the sun rises the next morning they'll be dead forever and they can never come back again so they basically have just a few hours to cast that same spell that they cast when they killed Thackeray's sister and sucked the life out of more children so what they need to do in this short period they have is make the magic potion and seduce children to come to their cottage and make them drink the potion and suck the life out of them and then they can continue to live so what happens is they take the magic book with them and she can't remember the spell without the book so she can't make the potion so they have two objectives they need to find children they need to find that book and they have until sunrise so basically they're, you know, chasing after these kids to get the book back. And at the same time, they're trying to spot children. But at first, they're fooled because all the children are wearing their Halloween costumes. And they 
Mary can smell children, but they don't know why she's smelling the children because they don't seem to see any children. They don't understand at first that they're wearing Halloween costumes because they've been gone for 300 years. They don't know what Halloween customs are in the 90s. So, or I should say they do know what they are, but in the 1690s, not in the 1990s. <laughs> so they end up going to the grave because uh, Thackeray Binks tells them that the sisters can't do them any harm in the grave. But that's another plot hole that I'd like to mention. Like, they can do them harm, but only they can't touch the ground. Yeah. Because they all they do is fly on their broomsticks, tr chasing them throughout the graveyard. Yeah. So, I don't really understand. They can go into the graveyard, but they can't touch the ground. Is that what it is? Yeah, they can't set foot on hollowed ground. Yeah. But they can still fly around in their broomsticks. Yeah. Right. So that's when uh, Billy comes into play because they bring Billy back from the dead. She casts a spell. Somehow she remembers that incantation. <laughs> yeah. And she brings Billy back from the dead and he, um, in order to chase after the kids. And at first he does what she says, which is interesting because later on he kind of decides to not listen to her. But at first he does. And maybe, you know, you could maybe think because he just woke up from a 300-year nap and he's, you know, still getting his bearings, or I don't know. But he completely changes his character. I don't know why he wasn't like that from the beginning, where he's like, chase your own kids. Especially with the backstory where, like, he kill she killed him, and, like, because of... He would, uh, she, he was jealous of him being in love with her sister Sarah. So why would he do what she says? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that is one plot hole I don't quite understand. I understand why later he turns against her, but I don't understand why at first he doesn't turn. Like I would think that immediately upon her shouting orders to him, he would not do her bidding, but. Right. Maybe he's still waking up. He doesn't realize what's going on. Maybe. and I don't know. Maybe she, there's like some sort of spell on him that makes him move, you know, like his body move and his mind isn't really understanding what's going on. I don't know. <laughs> right. So the kids end up escaping the graveyard through the sewer and the witches aren't exactly sure where they are. So they kind of go on a mission to find them and all sorts of comedy ensues when they have to encounter the uh the 20th century when they're from three centuries ago so there's all sorts of you know fish out of water type humor going on and they end up getting on a bus and the bus driver you know just thinks they're three good-looking women and you know he there's a lot of double entendres going on where they think one thing and he thinks another. I'm not going to get into that. That's a, This is a family show. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little bit of that type of humor going on. That's kind of a humorous scene. and So he ends up letting them out like in like trick-or-treat pandemonium. I've never seen a trick-or-treat like that in my life where there's that many kids. Only on TV is trick-or-treating like that. Or maybe in Salem. Well, I think Salem, <laughs> to be quite honest, because 
that's more of an adult place to have Halloween. There's a lot mm -hmm. of like rowdy teenagers and young adults and drinking and cavorting. So it's not really the best place for kids on Halloween. It's a lot of fun for adults, but it's not like it is portrayed in the movie. It's definitely mm -hmm. not that middle class young kid situation. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it is, you know, it's a movie. So, the witches, that's when they, you know, uh, Mary says she smells children, and this is the point where they end up uh, seeing the husband and wife of Satan and Medusa. And it's actually just a guy wearing a devil costume, and he invites them in to have, you know, a drink and hang out, you know. And they think he's Satan. But he thinks they're just trick-or-treat. You know, they're just dressed up for Halloween. And they're just, you know, a couple, you know, three fun gals, you know. So he invites them in <laughs> to hang out. And, and uh, his wife is in there. And she's wearing a bathrobe and, like, these zany-looking type curlers in her hair. So they mistake her for Medusa because of the curlers that she's wearing in her hair. And she ends up going up to bed, and then they start dancing and everything. She comes down and says, get out of my house. And their little dog who has on devil wings chases them out. And then they come to the conclusion, I don't think that was Satan. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's a really funny scene. So anyways, we kind of move on to another scene. And there's a, uh, at City Hall, there's this big masquerade party going on. And one thing we should mention that's really interesting that I found fascinating when doing the research on this, about this scene in particular, a lot of the costumes that the people were wearing in this scene were recycled from earlier Disney films. And a lot of like classic Disney films, they reused some of the costumes. I mean like stuff from the 50s and 60s. So if you look carefully in the scene, you might see, you know, stuff from Mary Poppins or something in this scene. But anyway, um, the kids run into the party to tell their parents what's going on. But uh, their mother is dressed like Madonna with a cone bra, which is kind of bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Their, their father is dad Cula. <laughs> um, they say they call him Dracula. Says no, no, I am Dabcula. <laughs> so the Sanderson sisters follow them into the party because, of course, the parents never believe the kids, right? So right. They just think the kids are having a little Halloween fun, and Max ends up. There's a band performing, dressed like kind of skeleton type, you know, costumes, and they're playing kind of like jazzy, fun music. And he ends up interrupting the performance and going on the stage and warning everybody about the Sanderson sisters. And then the Sanderson sisters are there, but everyone thinks it's a show. You know, everyone just doesn't understand this is really happening, as you would. So she says, thank you, Max, for that marvelous introduction. And then she sings her famous, uh, I put a spell on you, which everyone loves that scene. So she gets on stage and she sings, uh, a, you know, a classic song and her sisters perform backup 
And apparently they were really singing. But I, I feel like they may have been singing, but there were more than two people. Because it doesn't sound like... It sounds like a, a backup of about ten people singing. Yeah. Yes, but more than two women as they, backup. Yeah, they may have been two of the ten, but there were definitely more. So, um, anyway, the magic of the movies. She ends up casting a spell on everyone in the audience that they can't stop dancing that they're gonna dance until they die but they don't know that because she she gives an incantation and they all re repeat it back to her unknowing that by doing that they're helping her cast her spell so that's going on and the meanwhile the kids escape again with the book and they come up with a plan to kill the witches and they seduce her into their high school and it's really funny. They end up putting a boombox inside the um, pottery. What do you call that? A kiln? Yeah. Kiln, I mean, my, yeah. my high school had a kiln. That's believable. Right. We had pottery cl class. I was in pottery class. So I took pottery in high school. So they had um, the witches hearing this recording of like a French how to learn to speak French tape playing. It was like, where is the library? Parlez-vous la biblioteca or something, you know, I'm sure I didn't say the right word. <laughs> you just mix French and Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know either language, so. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, they end up going into the kiln and they end up locking them in there and firing it up and supposedly killing them. They think that they've killed them. Yeah, because like it, green smoke comes up from the the roof of the right. school. And they see the fire coming on and everything. And it reminds me of Sweeney Todd, that scene. Mm -hmm. That's all I can think of is the, <laughs> the ending of Sweeney Todd. Because it kind of has that same sort of thing happening, but a little more gruesome than <laughs> this yes. version. So um, the witches apparently did, were not killed. Because when they flew up and and you see the green smoke, that was actually them flying out and like evaporating and waiting until the kiln stopped burning. And then when that was done, they flew back in and re-transformed. So that was actually them hanging out up there waiting, you know, for the kiln to stop burning. So they weren't killed. So then... They don't know what to do because their book is missing. They don't have any idea where the kids live or anything at this point. So the kids feel that they've killed the witches and all is well with the world. But my thing is, what about their parents who can't stop dancing and are going to die? Why aren't they concerned about that? I don't know. Do the kids... I don't think the kids realize that that's what, is hap what happened. But the, so, thing, the thing is that he says... Cover your ear. Like in that scene, he says, cover your ears. Don't listen to them. So they know. Yeah, that, that is, were... that's the, that's a big plot hole right there. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So anyway, the kids go back to uh, Max's house and they all fall asleep in his bedroom. But at one point they open up, well, see, uh, Thackeray Binks is still with them. And he warns them not to open the book. That's been his whole thing through the whole movie is don't open that book. And so their th thinking is Thackeray and 
his sister are asleep. So they're sitting there and they're thinking, well, the witches are dead now, so why don't we open up the book and transform Thackeray back into a human being? So they open up the book and while they're in there, they see something that says, if you spread salt around you, the witches can't get you. Just as something they noticed while they were looking for the other spell. And what happens is the book set off like a beam of light into the sky. And the witches saw this from their cottage and then they knew where to go to retrieve their book. So it sent a beacon out to them. So that is why Thackeray did not want them to open that book. But I thought that he thought they were still dead too. But I think his thinking was he doesn't want to take any chances regardless. You know, he just says no. In fact, he says no good can come out of that book. So then the witches end up coming to the house and stealing Danny. Their intention is to steal all three of them and use them to suck the life out of them because they're all virgins. So, but they end up getting salt out of the kitchen and spreading it all around themselves so that the witches aren't able to take Allison and Max away. They just are able to take the sister, the younger sister. So, and they the get the book back too. And they also get the book back. So, they fly back to their cottage and their plan is to cast the spell and um, seduce even more children and then um, suck the life out of all the children in the town and then live forever. So meanwhile, they have to go retrieve Danny after the witches escape with her. So they end up I guess he steals his father's car and they end up driving to the cottage to come after them. Meanwhile, what's happening is Sarah does a flight over the village and starts singing her siren song, which is Come Little Children, which is a terrific song. And it's a great moment from the film. And Sarah Jessica Parker has some great vocal chops. I mean, she did perform in the original role of Annie on Broadway. She she originated that part on Broadway so obviously she knows how to sing and so she um, actually is who's singing when you hear that song
That song was actually written by James Horner, and James Horner was originally supposed to write the soundtrack to the entire film, but he had to um, turn it down last minute because he had other obligations. So John Debney ended up stepping in, and he composed and conducted the entire score in about two weeks, which I, it's a fantastic score, and that's amazing to me. Yeah. Two weeks, and it's it's just the music is is just wonderful. The background music in this film. However, James Horner did come back and he wrote the song "Come Little Children" that Sarah sings, and that's a terrific little moment in the film. Um, so all of the children in the town are like under some sort of hypnotic spell, and they're all kind of walking like zombies towards the. Um, the Sanderson sister's cottage, and when they're driving to go retrieve his sister, he's yelling at all these kids, stop, don't go, don't go, but they can't hear him. They're, they're, they're completely under the spell of the Sandersons. So anyways, they end up back at the cottage, and they end up getting his sister back. They have like this little battle in the cottage. They end up getting their sister back, and he spills all of the, the potion that they just made. And there's only this tiny little bit left when they escape. And she says, this is just enough for one child. So she puts the remaining stuff in a vial. And she, um, the sis there's all these children outside that have just standing out there. But this is where Winifred makes her biggest mistake. Because when they were, they had, uh, the sister in their mitt, you know, they had her captured, there were some uh, words exchanged, and she offended her by saying she's ugly. So she was, she's so mad about that, that she doesn't care about the other kids. She wants it to be her. So she ends up chasing after them, instead of just, like, using, because if they had just used their potion on one of the other kids that was right there, the story would have been over and, you know, they would have been able to live and, you know, but no, she had to, you know, take it personal. And that's where, that was basically her demise, right? Right. Her downfall. Yep. Right. So they end mm -hmm. up all chasing after the truck and they're driving to the graveyard, I guess, to wait out till sunrise because they know that the witches can't come in there. Mm-hmm even though they can, which is another plot hole, but... <laughs> so they end up uh, uh, going back to that graveyard, and meanwhile, the witches are chasing after them, and this is one of the funniest parts of the movie, because they end up... Um, their their brooms were stolen earl earlier in the film, so they end up going into the uh, janitor's closet, because, again, their cottage is now a museum. So inside the janitor's closet, there was uh, a broom like a modern day broom a mop like one of those yarn mops and then a vacuum cleaner and they end up using those to fly instead of the normal brooms i, I guess any type of cleaning implement that is long and thin can be used to fly on and kathy najimney is the one with the vacuum in it and that's like the the classic scene from the whole movie when she uses the vacuum cleaner to fly. <laughs> so, 
So anyways, they end up in the graveyard and the witches chase after them and they're flying after them and everything. And uh, they try to get uh, Billy to help them, but he's this is the point where he unsnips the thread around his mouth and all these moths fly out of his mouth and he kind of tells the witches off and and decides to help the children rather than help them chase after the children so and by the way those moths were real moths they weren't cgi they weren't animated the actor actually put real moths in his mouth and let them fly out and they was some sort of a contraption he put inside his mouth so the moss couldn't fly down his throat. Which I thought was really funny. Yeah. He used real moss. At first when I saw that, I was I didn't know they were moths. I thought maybe they were like cotton balls. It was kind of unclear. Oh, I could tell they were moths. Yeah. Cause you know how they say when you when you, like you open up your wallet and moths fly out. <laughs> yeah. That whole thing. That's how I was I pictured it. So anyway, the um, what happens is time kind of works against them, and the sun comes up, and they end up all disintegrating. But what one thing that happens that I just find to be bizarre is that she ends up landing on the ground, and she nothing happens to her. What kills her is the sun rising, not because Winifred right at the end she's about to get Max, and she's in the graveyard on the ground. Well, she turns to stone first. Yeah, but I felt like she turned to stone because of the sun rising, no? No, she gets disintegrated because of the sun. So she turns to stone first because the other two don't turn to stone. They just, poof, disappear. That that confused me a little bit. Yeah. So anyways, everything's fine and happy ever. But oh, what happens is because the Sanderson sisters are dead, that all of their spells kind of come to an end. Because what happens is um, Binks ends up dying because he no longer can live forever. He's a 300-year-old cat, so he dies. But what happens is his spirit comes back as a human being of Thackeray, and he's reunited with the ghost of his sister, and they walk off into the sunset. And you think the movie's over at that point. (laughs) There's two little loose ends they have to tie up. So we end up uh, going back to the dance where the parents had all been uh, forced to dance. And it's like 7 o'clock in the morning and they've been dancing nonstop since, you know, the night before. And they're all like coming out of this of this city hall like they, they're exhausted, sweaty, dirty. <laughs> and the only one really in a good mood is the mother. She had a terrific time. She's like, woo! She's dirty and sweaty too, but she had fun. <laughs> so that wraps up that. Obviously, the Sanderson sisters' spell ended when they died, right? So right. then one other thing is those two bullies that we mentioned, and we kind of didn't really mention them much when we were going through the plot because they're sort of secondary to the plot. But at one point, the Sanderson sisters had captured them and put them in cages in their cottage. And at the end, we go back to the cottage and they're still in the cages and have no way to get out. That's kind of how the movie (laughs) ends. So that is the plot of Hocus Pocus. Let's talk a little bit about what happened after. 
the first thing we should mention is how it did in the box office originally, because that's kind of a strange story. So originally, when was this released, Ruthie? July of 1993? Yeah, July. <laughs> <laughs> that was their first This is mistake. a very Halloween movie, released in July. Yeah, this is probably the most, and I, I will say this, this is probably the most Halloween movie ever made. Right. Like, no other movie is as Halloween-y as this movie. This movie's whole plot is Halloween. Right. Even the Nightmare Before Christmas is not as Halloween-y because half of the movie is about Christmas. Christmas, correct. This movie is, is much more Halloween-y than, than that. And yet, the reasoning that I kind of... I don't know if this is absolutely official because it was a lot of speculation that was... But, but through the articles I read and the documentaries I watched, I feel that the reasoning for this was because A Nightmare Before Christmas was coming out in October... And they didn't want to release two Halloween-themed movies at the same time. Which I think is completely stupid because, first of all, this movie is more... That movie is more Christmas than Halloween. So they could have released it... And they did release it two days before Halloween. So they didn't even release it, like, the month of Halloween. So <laughs> they could have released Hocus Pocus, like, at the end of September. And then right. released this at the end of October. And that would have been fine. But Disney said, and I, I do believe that someone said Disney said that they didn't want to release it then because that's when kids go back to school. They wanted to release it in the summer when kids are going to the movies, which is right. so stupid to me. Yeah. Because kids still go to the movies in September. Right. In October. That was the thing the about it, too, is like Nightmare. They didn't have big hopes for Nightmare before Christmas either. So I don't know why that really mattered there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think if they had released Nightmare Before Christmas in July, it would have done as well as it did on it? No. No. And I no feel way. like that's the reason why Hocus Pocus tanked. Who wants to go see a movie about Halloween in the middle of the summer? Right. When you're, like, just se done celebrating Fourth of July or something like that. No. Right. So, that was a huge mistake. And I don't... I don't feel that the film was properly marketed, and then it was poorly mm -hmm. reviewed by the critics, and it it did it did make a little bit of a profit, but I mean it wasn't like a huge phenomenal success. I mean it didn't completely tank. It made about twenty million dollars. You know, it made back its investment, and it, it made about twenty million on top of that, which is not that's sort of a flop. I mean. Right. They didn't lose money, but they really didn't make that much either. So, that's right. sort of apparently, a, the same day that Hocus Pocus was released, Free Willy was also released. Yeah, so, and I mean, if you're a kid, that was a huge movie. <laughs> if you're like, you know, 12, which is probably, you know, 8 to 14 is probably their target audience, right? Would you rather in the middle of the summer go see a movie about whales? Or about Halloween witches. Right. I mean... <laughs> doesn't make any sense. So, what ended up happening is... They released it on, on video about a year later. I think that's probably about when I saw it. 
-hmm. Back then, they didn't release stuff on video as immediately as they do now. Like, they took a little bit more time. So, then, they released it on DVD, I think, in the early 2000s. But before that, they started showing it on TV during Halloween. First, they showed it, you know, on syndicated, you know, different local stations will buy movies to show you know and then eventually it ended up showing on cable and then on the disney channel and then eventually on family channel which now is uh free why, why do i have a mental block on calling it free <laughs> it doesn't so, make sense the name that's why yeah so anyway this movie through all of its showings on TV, began to develop a following. In fact, I believe that this is the most watched movie on Disney Channel or Freeform ever. Like, this has had the highest ratings over the years of any other original or classic Disney film ever aired on their network. This is the top most popular so that's saying something because they show a lot of movies on those channels and there's a lot of like high school musical and all that stuff going on so that says something so anyways i mean just over the years people have learned to love this film and it's developed over time and now it's seen as a true disney classic almost you know a masterpiece and disney has finally caught on. It took them a while, but now they're in sync with the fan base and they're starting now to finally do things that are centered around this film. Because for years they just put it in the closet and ignored it and said, well, that was that, you know. Oops. And then they moved (laughs) on, you know. But then as it developed a following, they, you know. So one thing they, they did is they started a live show at Walt Disney World in front of the castle during the um, Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party where they bring out the Sandersons. And you can watch this on YouTube. I mean, there's dozens of people have, you know, taped, you know, I say, I'm giving my age away when I say (laughs) Right. They taped it on their camcorder. (laughs) And that they had to hold on their shoulder because it was so large. (laughs) Right. They had the little box, the separate little, you know, where they keep the video in the separate thing. And there's a wire that goes. (laughs) So, no, they, um, people have, you know, videoed this, uh, dozens if not hundreds of times so i mean just type in live show hocus pocus and you can see it it's actually called hocus pocus villain spelltacular yeah and what they do is they come out and then they introduce all sorts of villains and they sing songs and have all sorts of fun um so that's uh, actually a huge draw for those hollow because you could only see it at the not so scary event and mm-hmm. that's become a huge like draw for that event because people love that. It's very popular. Also, I mean, it's it's continued to be shown on Freeform and Disney Channel throughout the month of October. It's kind of on on repeat, you know, yeah. every year. And also, um, a lot of merchandise has has been released. Dolls of the Sanderson sisters. A lot of fan art 
has been happening the past few years where people do different fun paintings of the sand a lot it's inspired a lot of artwork a lot of terrific artwork and uh, disney's actually commissioned some of it you know some of its official disney artwork so if you type in hocus pocus artwork on your google You'll see, see, I sound old again when I say. I know. <laughs> on your Google, <laughs> on your internets, <laughs> you'll find all sorts of fantastic images that people have created. So there's been rumors for about four years now of a remake. So originally, um, Tina Fey was rumored to have been involved and in talks with Disney about somehow being involved in a remake of Hocus Pocus. But this turned out to be something that was just completely made up by somebody just spreading rumors on the internet. That never happens. Right. Um, <laughs> so that that didn't that was just a false rumor and nothing ever came out of that. But Bette Midler uh, Kathy and Jimmy and Sarah Jessica Parker have all said that if Disney came to them and said that we want to do a sequel and if they offered, you know, they were going to not do it on the cheap and they were going to do it right, they would all be in. No question. They're all, they all loved the experience of the original film. Bette Midler, as I said earlier, said that it was her absolute favorite role that she's ever done. In fact, in her live concerts, she performs I Put a Spell on You, dressed as Winnie Sanderson. She puts the costume on and performs the whole scene live in her live concerts to this day. So she's in. But for some bizarro reason... Which I have no idea, because it's not what the fans want. And I'm sure that if they did a motion picture release treatment of this film, it would be a huge success because there's a huge fan base. Yeah. Not like when they first released it. Now it has a following. So, for some reason, the, the rumor is that they are in pre-production and talks of doing a not a sequel but a remake with different actors different director different producer and it's going to be made for tv and it's probably going to be one of those cheap cheesy descendants descendants to high school musical type you know productions and it's not going to you know people aren't going to care to see that adults that are fans of the movie don't want to see that like i don't want to see that i'm i right. wouldn't bother to watch that but if it was a theatrical movie with Beth midler and sarah jessica parker and kathy and jimmy absolutely sign me in right and i'm 45 you know <laughs> so i think disney is making a huge mistake if they think that they can just make this remake as a made for tv you know basically just throw it out and see what sticks type thing how do you feel about that do you agree with me uh yeah it's not a sequel or you know or anything like that if you don't have the original actresses well so, they're not calling it a sequel they're calling it a remake a reboot oh well no i don't want that why you know it's the same thing like making live action versions of animated movies we don't need that we don't need a remake of this movie I still think that there's hope because 
recently Disney released a book mm -hmm. which has the story of Hocus Pocus in the first half and then the second half of the book is a new story about like a sequel to Hocus Pocus which is a legitimate sequel right so they've already come up with a way to bring the Sanderson sisters back I haven't read the book but and I'm not exactly sure the plot of the you know the sequel but the sequel I have already a little bit written. of a synopsis of it Oh, please tell me. It's, I'm um, curious. It focuses on Max and Allison, who apparently grow up and get married and have a daughter named Poppy. Oh, that's right. I did read that. Yeah. Yeah. So Poppy is, you know, so I guess her parents have avoided celebrating Halloween and Poppy is skeptical, but she ends up in the house on Halloween 25 years later. And, you know, so basically that's how it kind of links into the Sanderson's a little bit and I don't know any specifics more than that. She probably lights the candle and they come back again or something. I don't know. It, because right. The way we left it was they're dead forever. So maybe something else happens where some Right. But the they, book is still alive. Yes. That's what I was just going to say. Maybe she mm -hmm. reads a spell out of the book not knowing that it's real and it'll really right. work. And that's what brings them back or something like that. I mean, there's ways to, you know, bring them back, even though we kind of yeah. left it off as like, this is done. This is a done deal. I mean, that never stopped them from making a sequel before, so why should it stop them now? Right. Plus, this is fantasy. They're witches. Yeah. I mean, they sur you saw them survive being burnt in a kiln. Right. So and hung and right. <laughs> all sorts of things. So, yeah. So, I mean... Maybe, I'm thinking that their initial... This is just my thought process. My thinking was, is that initially, a couple years ago, Disney was kind of rumbling and thinking about a made-for-TV thing. But mm -hmm. now they're starting to realize, with Bette Midler interjecting, and she actually is on record of saying, I would just be devastated if that happens. Like, she does not want... She's with the fans. She yeah. does not want them to make a cheap, cheesy, made-for-TV remake. She wants to be involved, and so maybe Disney will kind of wake up and... I mean, they're remaking everything. They're doing sequels to everything else right. that's not even as popular, and nobody's asking for. So right. why, why don't they make a sequel to the Hocus Pocus as a legitimate sequel with the original cast? Right. So my thinking is that Disney might now be thinking on those lines as well. Because this book that just came out might hint at the fact they're not thinking about a remake anymore. They're, they actually are thinking about a sequel. And if this book is... I think the book is... It just came out, didn't it? This year? Yeah, it was July of this year, yeah. If the book gains any sort of a following and word gets out more about the book maybe disney will maybe it's sort of a testing ground to see if there's interest in the book right but mm -hmm. disney hasn't really promoted it that much but i feel like with the upcoming halloween special they're gonna do in a, yeah. in a few days i think word might get more out about this book and and maybe it'll start to gain a little more popularity and i think that might be a catalyst for doing a legitimate sequel and I just kind of feel like maybe they're going to turn away from the whole 
you know, made for TV thing and maybe do a legitimate sequel, but I don't know. I mean, I'm just right. guessing and thinking in my own brain and kind of druthers, if I have right. druthers type <laughs> thinking. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe they will, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. It would be nice because, I mean, this is a sequel I would like to see. Yes. I'm not done with the same. I, I'd like to see the Sanderson sisters have more adventures. And I think I would enjoy if they brought back the original Max and original... Um, Allison. Yeah, if they could bring back those two actors, and I'm sure they could get them. If they can get Bette right. Midler, they can, all, right. they can definitely... I'd, I'd like to see how they grew up and everything. I would enjoy that. I'm yeah. sure anybody between the ages of, you know, 12 up to my age would enjoy it like maybe people in their 50s don't have as much of a you know, there's exceptions i'm sure but i think the the movie really only goes up to people our age ruthie and then people a little bit older than us don't really have any sort of a you know connection to this film like we did i mean because when this right. film first came out i was only 20 years old right and i was a huge disney fan to begin with so i mean i mean the reason i didn't go see it when it came out was because I really didn't know about it. It wasn't right. really promoted very well, and by the time I heard about it, it was kind of gone from the theaters already. Right. Because I wasn't like again. Looking... It was July. Right. I wasn't <laughs> looking for a Halloween movie. Right. At that time, and also in the middle of the summer, I'm was work. You know, when I was twenty, I was in college, so in the summer I worked a lot. You know during the mm -hmm. day so unless something was really heavily promoted i might not hear about it because i wasn't sitting around watching tv all day back then and they didn't have the internet back then so and i worked at a little dry cleaner store it's not like i worked at a mall where i saw advertising and everything all the time so i just kind of didn't really hear about it till it was too late and i would yeah. definitely have gone to see it because i mean i've always loved bet midler and i and i always went to see disney movies when they came out back then so it was just Disney didn't release it at the right time. They didn't properly promote it. And just all sorts of mistakes were made. I actually didn't have much history with this movie because I didn't watch it when it came out. Kind of similar to um, your situation. You know, I was a couple of years younger than you and I was, you know, living my life. So, you know, I wasn't, you know, paying attention to what was coming out in the theater in July. So throughout the years, I've kind of seen snippets here or there, but I actually have not watched this whole movie until I watched it before we were recording this episode. So this was the first time I actually watched the movie all the way through, mm -hmm. and I love it. Mm -hmm. This now to me is one of my regular Halloween classics that I'm going to be watching every year. Mm -hmm. So... And if they do some sort of a sequel, uh, I say no to the remake, but if they do a sequel, they have to have the three main sisters. They have to. Mm -hmm. It has to be Bette Midler, it has to be Kathy Najimy, and it has to be Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. I don't know why you would even contemplate doing a sequel without them. Because this movie is about the Sanderson sisters, and that's who they are. So, you know, definitely Disney needs to think twice about that before they even attempt to make Hocus Pocus 2 without them. And, you know, the fact that, you know, Bette Midler had some weight back in 1993 to help get this movie actually going, 
and made after the eight years it sat on the shelf somewhere. And hopefully she still has that weight to kind of, you know, prevent Disney from doing anything too crazy with it. So that's kind of where I'm, you know, crossing my fingers there. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Sort of in limbo right now, I feel. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But limbo is better than like some sort of confirmation about something we don't need. Right. <laughs> so before we end, we're going to each name our favorite character, our favorite gag, because there's so many funny gags and little, little tiny little gems, comedy gems in this film. And then we'll leave it off by naming our favorite scene. So I'll let you go first, Ruthie. Who is your favorite character from Hocus Pocus? Well, of course, my favorite character is Winifred Winnie Sanderson, played by Bette Midler. She is the best character in this movie, bar none. She's such a strong character, a strong woman. She, you know, she leads her sisters and she is very determined to get her mission accomplished however she needs to do that and she's just she's evil but you kind of like her too because she's very you know very well, she's a classic disney villain in that you yeah. love to hate her there's as evil as she is there's still she has a charm and appeal to her right but the word i was trying to think of is like she's just very happy yeah, campy. She's just like kind of like a Broadway character, and you just really can't help but love her at the same time, hate her. So she's definitely my favorite character. Well, she is my favorite character too, but since you've already chosen that character, <laughs> I'm probably going to have to go with. Um, mm, it's kind of a tie for me between two. I'm going to have to say. I'm just going to have to go with my tie and pick both. I'm going to say um, Mary, Kathy and Jimmy is my second. And then my tie for second place is Binks, the cat. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as bad as the CGI is, <laughs> he's still an endearing character. And I just love just, you know, I'm a cat lover. I have a cat of my own. So I just relate to cats. In fact, my cat is currently curled up right next to me on my desk <laughs> while I'm saying, oh, now she leaves <laughs> as soon as I say that. So I just like his personality. I like, you know, his dry humor. And, and like when he dies, you know, you always cry at the end, like it's emotional. And when he gets run over by a bus earlier in the film, you're like really like upset about it and then he yeah. comes back to life and you're like oh thank god so yeah, you really yeah. do have like some sympathy and you really care about him as a character and kathy and jenny just because she her just little touches just her little like i don't know there's just something about her that's just so amazing and just mm -hmm. she's just got that thing in her eye you know madeline khan had that Terry Gar had that. It's, uh, what's her name from Saturday Night Live always had. Gilda Radner. Some of these actresses have the, oh, another good one is Bernadette Peters. Mm -hmm. They just have this thing, this twinkle in their eye that, that's like, 
there's always something zany going on in the back of their mind. <laughs> Even when they're being very serious, there's just always something a little off about them that's mm -hmm. very appealing. <laughs> Especially Madeline Kahn. Like, she's the top, but I, of that, like, something's not quite right with her type mm -hmm. humor. But Kathy Najimny is definitely in league with, with, with her for that. There's just like, you can see the gears churning in her mind through her, the weird stares that she gives with her eyes. I can't even explain it, but you probably know what, I, everybody probably understands what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and, she definitely has, she's acting without saying anything. Yeah, and she has just these little little touches that just mm -hmm. like it's like genius but it's just comes off so natural but it's in like there's one point where she's telling Bette Midler's character is, is going through this whole mishigas about a whole situation and then she's like I really liked how you told that story I mean I liked how it began and then you turned it around with this little plot twist and the, she's like describing her how her sister just explained everything <laughs> and she's explaining why they have to retrieve the book and get the children because they're not going to live past the night so she's telling them that whole situation that they're in because the other two don't quite understand it and rather than grasp the gravity of the situation they're in she decides to give a little critique of how Bette Midler relayed the story to them she's like I really <laughs> liked how you you know, you influctuated your words at this point of the story. <laughs> I'm like, it's <laughs> just so bizarre and insane and funny. Right. And then, and then, um, Sarah Jessica Parker goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. So yeah. Yeah. So that's basically like the three characters in a nutshell in that right. one little scene. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite gag from the film? So, I have to go back up and describe a little bit. So in the beginning of the movie, when um, Max is leaving from his first day at school and, you know, he's heard the story of the Sanderson sisters and he got turned down by his love interest. He's on his way home and he gets stopped by the bullies. And one of the things that the bullies do is take his new Nike sneakers. Mm -hmm. And um, so he ends up having to go home and he's just walking in his socks. Mm -hmm. And... So later on, you kind of talked about it where the Sanderson sisters are walking down the street and they see these two bullies hanging out and they actually oh, yeah. take them and they put them in cages back at their house. Yeah. And so later on when the um, when Max and Danny and Allison end up at the Sanderson sisters house and they're they're getting the potion and the book and right before they leave the house, um, he sees these bullies in the cage and He's, and the one that took his shoes, his feet are dangling. So he goes back up and he takes the shoes off of his feet. And yeah. I really like that because it just kind of put a little nice little bow back on that whole little side story there that, hmm, yeah. you think you can bully me? No, you can't. And I'm, I'm going to leave you in those cages and I'm taking my shoes back. And then they leave. And also, the whole reason why they even came across those bullies is because of the shoes. Because Mary smelled max because, right because and, yep. and they didn't really quite understand why it led them to them and it was because he was wearing max's shoes mm -hmm. so i mean 
at first you don't think that this is going to have, you know, it doesn't, why are they putting in this whole shoe thing? But it actually right. does move the story in several ways because it leads them to the bullies and then it max takes the shoes at the end so there's a lot involving these stolen sneakers in the right <laughs> it's kind of funny well my favorite gag is much easier to describe and i already mentioned it the whole vacuum cleaner thing where they you know some uh, these three kids while they're inside the 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 devil and medusa's house they leave their brooms leaning against a picket fence and these three little girls go, Oh, look at the brooms! And one, and this is also funny, but it's not my favorite gag, but it's still worth mentioning. When you don't see them, but you hear a sound effect off screen where it's, if, and, and if you blink, you'll miss it. Or if you blink your ears, you'll miss it because it's only, <laughs> you only hear it, you don't see it. But you hear like, woo! Like they're flying. <laughs> Did you notice that? I didn't, no. <laughs> if you watch it again, it's like they're flying, but it's off screen. Because <laughs> you hear a little sound effect like, oh, oh, we're flying, or something like that. But you don't see it. So you, you, I always wonder, what? how could nobody notice that? Or no, <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> the town didn't see these little girls flying around or whatever became of them. Did they fly off into outer space? What happened to these young little girl who <laughs> stole the Sanderson sisters' brooms. Anyway, so that's the reason why they ended up going into the, the janitor's closet inside their what once was their home, but now is a museum, and one of them steals, you know, Bette Midler takes a broom that's like a modern-day broom, you know, like the flat-shaped broom, and then um, Sarah takes the, the mop with the strings on it. And then she takes a vacuum cleaner and just the whole way she interacts with the <laughs> vacuum cleaner and you actually the vacuum cleaner actually turns on like the light goes on <laughs> when she uses it and you hear the motor like as she flies up in the sky. I just feel like that's like that's the funniest moment to me from the whole film. Well, so, and part of that, too, is that the vacuum cleaner cord is dangling and yeah. that comes into play later where they're actually able to pull on the cord the kids right. do in the graveyard chase the kids are pulling on her cord to like try to catch her or whatever right uh, let's talk about our favorite scene so when we say favorite gag just like one little moment from a scene but let's talk about like our more like a whole scene what's your favorite scene well my favorite scene has to be the devil scene. I think oh, yeah. that whole thing is just so funny. I mean, yeah. th the minute that I saw, you know, I saw the character come out dressed like the devil, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Gary Marshall. And then he starts inviting them in. They're walking around the house. They're looking at all the different appliances that these people have in their house because they've never seen any of them, you know, because yeah. they're from and they 1693. The yeah. Yes. And um, Kathy and Jimmy's character, Mary, she sits down, she's watching TV. She's like so engrossed in it. And um, and then, you know, of course, Penny Marshall. I grew up watching Laverne and Shirley. I wanted to be Laverne. I love Penny Marshall. And she's in the scene too. Just and what makes that little <laughs> old aunt think he could move a rubber tree plant? Sorry, I had to. <laughs> yeah. 
I think it's funny that Gary and Penny, who are actual real life brother and sister, are playing husband and wife, first yeah. of all. Yeah. I think it's so funny that the sisters actually think he's the devil just because he's wearing this obvious costume. But he totally plays along with it. They're like, Master! Yeah. And he's like, Yes! And, and he it's thinks just, they're playing. Like, he thinks right. they're just. He totally silly. goes along with it and, you know, lets them in. And, you know, I just think that whole scene is just hilarious. And yeah. the fact that, you know, Penny Marshall's character, um, she actually goes upstairs like she's go just going to let them hang out at the house. And then she, like, turns around and comes back. Wait a minute. You guys need to leave. <laughs> yeah. But I just love that whole scene. It's just. It has Take your to clock, boss, and get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't move the plot at all, and it no. really has nothing. to I do I think with it the might plot, have been but... added after the fact because they were just around, and they were like, "Hey, we got, we got Penny Marshall and um, Gary Marshall. Why don't we add them to a scene?" I think that's well, probably what happened. <laughs> I'm glad they did because I love that scene. It's yeah. hilarious. It's a highlight. What's your favorite scene? I enjoy the dance. And mm -hmm. I put a spell on you when yep. they sing that. That's definitely my, you know, up there. But I had, that's an honorable mention. But my favorite scene is when Sarah Jessica Parker is singing Come Little Children and that whole, because it's just like this little extra moment where we kind of break away from all the, the, you know, the adventure and the goings on. It's like a quieter moment, but it's very creepy and mysterious and haunting and it's just like a little side moment that kind of breaks away from the mood of the rest of the film and just has its own little quiet moment to itself i feel like movies today don't take the time that movies did back then people don't have the patience for whatever reason i mean i do i love that stuff but a lot of people are like okay get on with the plot get on with the plot in fact you watch a lot of these movie reviewers on YouTube, and all they complain about is, get on with the plot, get on with the plot, get on with the plot. Like, if they show somebody making a cup of coffee, they're like, that's a waste of time. Don't take the time to show someone making a cup of coffee. Sometimes, you know, when you're watching a movie, you need a little time to breathe and just watch someone make a cup of coffee so you can gather your thoughts about what's going on in the movie. To me, that's why I don't like modern day movies as much as I like classic movies because classic movies aren't like fast food. Right. Everything today is fast food culture. They took the time to tell a story, to take little sidelines and little moments like the, the moment you mentioned has nothing to do with the plot. It's just a fun scene that adds to the fun of the film. Mm -hmm. And again, this scene with... Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker flying over and singing Come Little Children, it's just a moment. It just adds to the flavor of the film. So that's definitely why I like that. And more movies need to be like that now. Yeah. You talk about like stopping or like taking the time to show somebody drinking a cup of coffee. Well, this is taking the time to have somebody sing an entire song. Right. So that's even more time. <laughs> right. But yeah, this is a great scene and it's a great song too. Yeah. So, do you have any final thoughts about uh, Hocus Pocus? Well, like I said before, I really love this movie a lot. It is very Halloween and it just really put me in the mood. I will be watching this again 
in the next couple of days. I plan to watch the 25th anniversary special that's going to come on Freeform in a couple of days. And this They'll is going to probably be, have already been released by the time we right. release this episode. So right. So if you guys haven't watched it already, go and watch it because I'm sure they're going to keep um, playing it over and over. So yeah, you'll be well, able to find a show time. all day on Halloween, like I said. Yeah. They're going to play it. Every, they're going to play the movie, then play the special, then play the movie on repeat throughout the entire day. Yeah. So um, go watch that. I'm going to watch it. And I'm just really excited that I have uh, this movie in my repertoire now to, you know, watch and gear up for the holidays. I loved it. Even with the small little plot holes that we mentioned, I really think that this movie is, is practically perfect in every way for a Halloween movie. I mean, you yeah. just can't get any better than this. And I loved it. Yeah, it really captures just all the different feelings you have. For Halloween, you know, you've got the Salem with the, the fall mm -hmm. leaves and all the yep. jack-o'-lanterns and decorations. And then you got a, you know, a scary cemetery and a black cat and witches and goblins, yeah. zombies coming back to life. It it's just basically has it all. Yeah, and, and some amazing music numbers in between. <laughs> right, right. I just wish it had more songs. Right, yeah. Oh, I yeah. agree with that. Mm -hmm. It's also one other thing that's kind of annoying is the fact that the most beloved song from this film, Bette Midler's performance of I Put a Spell on You, has never been officially released on an album. And the only way to hear the song is in the actual movie or if someone rips the audio from the movie and makes their own little recording but the problem with that is there's dialogue and talking over the scene your kids are in danger what do you mean? 300 years ago the sanderson sisters bewitched people and now they've returned from their grave <laughs> hey man i'm serious it's not a joke this has gone far enough i know this sounds dumb but they're here tonight they're right over there <laughs> Thank you, Max, for that marvelous introduction. <laughs> I put a spell on you. And now you're mine. <laughs> you can't stop the things I do. I lie. No! No! Oh, Don't listen to them! Been 300 years, right down to the day. Now the witch is back, and there's hell to pay. <laughs> I put a spell on you. Good joke. Happy Halloween. Thanks a lot. No, man, and I'm serious. You got to have me. I'm not kidding.
So the only way you would ever get like a really good crisp recording of just the music would be if Disney would release it. Because I'm sure they have the original masters. Mm -hmm. So if Disney would release it on an album. Now they did release an official album a couple years ago. This never got an official album when, when the movie first came out. And a lot of Disney live-action movies at that time were getting albums of the soundtrack, like the background music. But this one they just skipped over and never did an official soundtrack. And it wasn't only, it wasn't until a few years ago that they finally released a soundtrack. But they left the song, I Put a Spell on You, out. They originally planned on including it. But there was some sort of issue about uh, copyright and just it was a whole thing. And I think there was a deadline for the release date and the contracts that needed to be gone through were not going to meet that deadline. So they had no choice but to release the album without that song included in it. So still, to this day, you can't get, you know, a studio clean without dialogue version of that song in the movie i put a spell on you which is really it really sucks yeah that does suck <laughs> and a lot that of people would sucks. love to have that it's yes just, it doesn't you can't it's something you just can't get your hands on right so yeah one thing one other thing i wanted to mention is i was listening to the musical score today and this score is amazing we talked about him writing it in two weeks the score is amazing. Literally, it, you can pop this on anytime you are in a Halloween mood after you listen to this. It is just amazing. It totally fits the movie and it just, you know, you just feel like you're right in there with those characters. Yeah. So John Debney, he's a genius. I mean, the music is phenomenal. Everybody enjoyed our best of episode, bringing you Hocus Pocus and Ruthie. Where can everybody find Jiminy Crickets on the web? You can listen to all of our past shows, including audio versions of Dateline Jiminy Crickets on our website. 
jcricketspodcast.blogspot.com. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast under the name Jiminy Crickets. That's with an exclamation point. And be sure to leave us a five-star review, which helps to promote the podcast. Over on our YouTube channel, we share updates to the Disney Chris website, including the Disneyland Magical Audio Tour, as well as past episodes of the Jiminy Crickets podcast and Dateline Jiminy Cricket. You can find our channel if you search for DisneyChris.com. And remember, .com is spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. And don't forget to subscribe and click on the notification bell. You can also join in the conversation over on our Facebook page, Jiminy Crickets Podcast, where you can not only interact with Chris and me and all the fellow cricketeers, but you can also stay up to date on all the latest details of our many worldwide web endeavors. On Facebook, Chris can be found under the name Chris Linden. That's L-Y-N-D-O-N as in Lyndon Johnson. And on Twitter, A-K-A-X at DisneyChris73. If you would like to contact the show with your comments or questions, our email address is DisneyChrisDOTCOM at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. For the past year, I have become an official Twitch streamer. Every Monday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, I host a live stream on my Twitch channel called Disney Chris underscore audio underscore fun. And you can also follow my stream-related group on Facebook under the name Disneyland Audio Fun. So the name of the Twitch page is Disney Chris Audio Fun. The name of the Facebook group is Disneyland Audio Fun. And the actual name of the stream is Disneyland Audio Fun, but they wouldn't let me call it Disneyland Audio Fun on Twitch. I don't know why. I highly doubt someone else took that name already. Our official Instagram account is at DisneyChris underscore JC underscore podcast, and there are hundreds, over a thousand at this point, of colorful vintage Disney images on our page and we are continually almost daily adding more fun Disney things to see and this is also a great place to get updates to our podcast and my weekly twitch stream so be sure to follow us on Instagram today my website is disneychris.com home to the Disney Song of the Day, Disney Song of the Year, and the Disneyland Magical Audio Tour, where you'll find over 3,000 audio tracks from the happiest place on Earth. We would also like to give special thanks to those who help us spread our magic with their generous support. You can help support Dateline Jiminy Crickets, the Jiminy Crickets podcast, the Disney Chris website, and my Twitch stream, by becoming a Patreon subscriber. By joining our illustrious roster of supporters, you will receive exclusive rewards every month, including audio content, Disney video commentaries, and an exclusive Patreon subscribers-only podcast. Additionally, your name will be featured on screen during the closing credits of each Dateline Jiminy Crickets podcast. Be sure to check out our donation levels and special rewards at www.patreon.com slash DisneyChris. 
You can also make a one-time only donation or recurring donation via PayPal. And recurring PayPal donators qualify for the same rewards as our Patreon subscribers. You'll find all of these links and donation options at DisneyChris.com slash donate. When your heart is in your dream, no request is too 